Good morning to everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. Really hope that you've been enjoying our time of worship so far and that we've really adjusted to this uh, online presence which has become our reality uh, since the year 2020. This morning I go to the third part of our mini-series entitled A Deeper Spirituality. I have been spending time over the last few weeks in the book of John and will continue to do so today. In part one of the series, the protagonists of our Bible study were Jesus, Nicodemus, and the Spirit. In part two, we focused on Jesus, John the Baptist, and the Spirit. Today in part three, our Bible study will center on Jesus, the Twelve, and the Spirit. Please bow with me as I say a word of prayer. Father, we give you our hearts this morning. We pray that we would discern great truths and treasures from your word. Father, help me to be a faithful advocate, a faithful minister, a faithful presenter of your word. And may we all draw closer to you from our time of study together. Christ, name we pray. Amen. So, A Deeper Spirituality, Part 3. And uh, we're going to focus on John chapter 14 in particular. That's going to be the core text. But to, to be able to get there, I want to be able to give some context beginning in John chapter 11. As I have done before, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And as well, the day that this is being recorded, it's a rainy day. If you're getting some background, uh, it's because of the blessings coming from above. John chapter 11, in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The context here is uh, Lazarus has died. His sisters Mary and Martha are mourning. And Mary has actually come forward to meet Jesus. And what verse 33 tells us is that Jesus was moved in spirit and deeply troubled. And why was that? That was his compassion as he saw the grief of the sisters. You know, one of the things we get to realize about Jesus was he was emotionally healthy. There was a self-awareness of what was going on inside of him, which John is able to articulate for us. I move over to chapter 12. And uh, chapter 12 is that transition chapter as Jesus gets ready to go to the cross. John's account, um, often called the farewell discourse from John 13 to 17, is a very extended account of Jesus' journey to the cross. So we move over to chapter 12 in verse 27. Jesus says here, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. There's that language again. 
here however Jesus says his soul is troubled what is what is causing this this emotion on the inside this is now Jesus's anticipation of the suffering that he would go through so he's, he's, his soul is troubled he's there's anguish there's um, there's an understanding of how difficult going to the cross would be so in John 11 we read about Jesus being troubled within because of his connecting his empathy with the grief of the sisters here in John chapter 12 his soul is troubled as he anticipates the cross the next chapter in John chapter 13 verse 21 is helpful after saying these things Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me is that language again Jesus is troubled in his spirit why someone who he loved and served was going to betray him and it troubled him on the inside I think that's a natural response if you think about someone who you've invested in someone who you've become connected with and you had knowledge that they would betray you so Jesus here talks about his spirit being troubled as he thought about being betrayed so here we are in John 11 John 12 John 13 you know in John's gospel we're seeing we're seeing a human side of Jesus we know of his divinity but we're seeing a human side and a side that as I mentioned is, is able to, to come to grips with how he was doing emotionally as he anticipated being glorified which of course is a reference to his death burial and ultimate resurrection so now we get to our main chapter today chapter 14 and look at how chapter 14 begins in verse 1 let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me there's the language of trouble again now this time Jesus says he's speaking to the 12 and he says let not your hearts be troubled so one of the things we can recognize here is that as Jesus gives this encouragement he is doing so from a place where he could relate to feeling internal turmoil or trouble we saw in John chapter 11 12 13 his soul being troubled his spirit being troubled and now he says to the to the 12 let not your hearts be troubled why is he trying to reassure them at a time like this it's because he is going to leave them he's going back to God and for them that is it's heartbreaking this is this is Jesus they they had the privilege of walking with him of learning from him of being mentored by him and so there's a there's a close bond that has developed between Jesus and the twelve he schooled them he poured himself into them and they would ultimately change change the known world in a first century context but he's he's made them aware of the fact that he would be leaving and for them that's discouraging but later on in chapter 14 he's able to to bring into view 
why he would say, don't let your hearts be troubled. I read from verse 15 of John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. As we have seen in other parts of John, Jesus connects love and obedience. And he says those who love him would be obedient to him. In the context of his impending departure, he reassures the disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That helper there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Depending on the translation you read, you may see the word advocate, which is like a lawyer. You may see the word counselor. All right, and the original Greek expression is the word paraclete. So what Jesus is saying is that as he goes to the Father and as he departs from them, he is not going to leave them alone. He is going to ask God to send them the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the counselor. Some may even refer to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. But the scholars seem to be more um, faithful to the use of the word counselor. They really want to be able to bring across the, this aspect of somebody speaking on your behalf, somebody defending your cause. So it's reassuring for the disciples because Jesus is going, but the Spirit is coming to be with them. He says the Spirit will dwell with you and will be in you, or it can also be read among you. So what's going to happen is that there's going to be a, there's going to be a divine presence with the, the twelve, even though Jesus is leaving and that must be reassuring for them. Let me draw your attention to the use of the word another before helper in verse 16. Why does he say another helper? Well, John tells us in one of his epistles in 1 John chapter 2, he actually refers to Jesus as an advocate. So when Jesus uses the word another helper, what he's saying is, I'm an advocate, but I'm going to ask God to send you another advocate. You're not going to be alone. You will have that divine presence with you. In fact, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And scholars have debated, hey, it seems as though this verse 18 is a natural continuation of that conversation and that promise of not being left alone. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest, manifest myself to him. Verse 21 repeats the language of verse 15. Love and obedience. 
If you love me, Jesus said, you'll be obedient to me. And then verse 21, the end of it talks about Jesus revealing or manifesting himself. So and understand, understand the dynamic that's happening here. Understand the, the comfort that the disciples are now feeling. They, they, they may have initially been troubled in heart. But Jesus is saying, don't be troubled. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to the Father and he's going to give you as a gift the Holy Spirit to be with you. And this is all within the context of an obedient love relationship with Jesus and with the Father. It's, it's a spirituality of love. It's an, it's an understanding that my, my meaning for life, my purpose in life, my significance in life is truly manifested in that love relationship with that divine presence, whether it's God, whether it's Christ, whether it's the Spirit. There's an intimacy that is promised. And uh, while these promises are initially made in the context of the 12, there are elements of these promises that apply across the board. Not every aspect of the promise of the Spirit extends to all generations and all times. But there's some elements of this promise that no matter which age you're in, you will experience. And, and, and the presence of the Spirit is one of those elements of the promise, even though the manifestation may be a little bit different. And, and so I, I want us to be encouraged that if, if we choose to, to love Christ and to have that obedient love-faith relationship with Christ, even though he is not physically present in our generation through the spirit we have that we have that presence with us that spiritual covering almost and, and guidance and direction that can really really help us to live as jesus would live in our time and i, I believe it's important for us to, to embrace that uh, that promise that that's encouraging that's reassuring Especially when we think about the fact that we go through trouble, you know. We, we, we started off today talking about the fact that Jesus could relate to trouble internally, emotionally, spiritually. And I know that we, we can relate to that as well. We can relate to the challenges of living in a pandemic, the lockdowns, and then there's some freedom, and then there's lockdowns again. Uh, losing loved ones near and far and just even relationship challenges maybe feeling just lonely maybe feeling disconnected with other Christians disconnected from family um, feeling uncertainty about your job or about your health they're just elements that could make us just feel troubled and uh, the Spirit of God can can really be that comfort that advocate that presence that really helps us to, to see God and, and to, not, to not be discouraged. And even though difficult times may persist, that there's an inherent trust in the goodness of God to see us through. If, if you're facing any kind of trouble today, be reassured that there's a spiritual presence that's available 
But remember though, that becomes possible through our obedience to Christ. Judas, this is verse 22, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, and he's about to read it, repeat verse 15 and 21. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he and we will come to him and make our home with him. There it is, that intimacy again, that divine union. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Remember, he's, he's going to be leaving. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And then he says again, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The reassurance comes again. But let's look at another element of the work of the Holy Spirit in the context of the apostles. What does Jesus say to them? The Spirit will manifest himself in two ways to the twelve. Number one, he will teach them. Number two, he will remind them of what Jesus said. This is interesting, this is cool. <laughs> because Jesus is going. But through the Spirit, the twelve, the apostles, they are going to be able to remember for the purposes of their own ministry the things that Jesus taught them. I want to be able to, to take this particular manifestation of the Spirit in the apostles' lives and connect it to one of the benefits we have today, the apostles' teaching. Many of us are familiar with Acts chapter 2 and the fact that the early church devoted themselves, among other things, to the apostles' teaching. You know, the apostles' teaching, when you consider what John 14 here is promising between verses 25 and 26, the apostles' teaching is essentially the word of Christ. What does it mean? It means that we can have confidence when we read the New Testament, so much of which, especially the 21 letters that follow the Gospels and Acts, we can, we can trust what we're reading because of the connection with the Apostles. So much of what we read in the New Testament either came directly from the Apostles or people associated with the Apostles. So even though we may see Paul's name attached, we've got to remember that what Paul is teaching is spirit-led and it is the, the message of Christ through the apostles. I think we're familiar, quite a number of us, with 2 Peter. And I'm going to go to 2 Peter. I'm going to use this to kind of bring some closure to one aspect of the message. And then I'm going to wrap up the message by giving something um, which I hope will be helpful, just a, a practical guide. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 19, it says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter, one of the twelve, one of the three in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, is able to say that when we read scripture, which includes, of course, the New Testament, we're not reading the will of man. We're reading spirit-inspired words as God works through human authors, human speakers. And that's the confidence that I'm talking about we should have when we read scripture. So when Jesus in John 14 says that the Spirit is going to teach and the Spirit is going to remind and, and help them to remember what he taught, I'm, I'm encouraging us that we can have confidence when we read God's word. It's not the word of man or the will of man, but it comes from God. So for the last three weeks, I've been talking about a deeper spirituality. In week one, I spoke about within that broader theme, a freedom-based spirituality as we looked at Nicodemus. In week number two, I spoke about a Christ-centered spirituality as we looked at John the Baptist. And today I'm talking about a spirituality of, of love, which is expressed in our own love, faith, obedience to Christ and the role that the Spirit plays, first and foremost in the apostles' lives, but in our time when, through repentance and baptism, we receive the indwelling Spirit. And that Spirit within us really should produce lives of divine love through us to others. You may ask Tyrone, I, I want to be able to understand this spirituality more. I want to be able to understand this divine union and connection that you've spoken about, which has really been a dominant theme in John. But how do I, how do I experience this? How, how do I really feel this divine presence that you've spoken about, that, that God is really real, you know, in, in my life? Tell I, I read the Bible and I pray, but I feel like I want something more. I want something that's more experiential. Allow me to share in closing today a monastic practice that really has been around for, for centuries. And when I say monastic practice, um, those who, who live as, as monks or those who, have, who live a more contemplative way of life, they've been able to master just various uh, practices that have helped them in their own depth of relationship with God. And so today I close off with a practice called Lectio Divina. And it literally means divine reading or spiritual reading. Lectio Divina has been, uh, it has evolved so that there are four stages. 
of this divine or spiritual reading, stage number one, which is actually called Lectio, which really means reading. Stage two, which is called Meditatio in the Latin, which is meditation. Step number three is Oratio, which is prayer. And step number four, stage number four is Contemplatio, which is contemplation. Let me just give you a little sample of what Lectio Divina looks like. And the, the reason I'm sharing this is hopefully to be able to give you um, just a bit of the tools that you can go away in your own devotional times with God and go a little bit deeper. What you're going to notice about this Lectio Divina is that it is, it is a slower reading of Scripture, shorter passages, so that you can go deeper. And I'm going to stay in 2 Peter chapter 3 to give an example of what Lectio Divina can look like. I'm just going to do two verses, verses 8 and 9. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How do you read verses 8 and 9 in a Lectio Divina style? Lectio, you've read it. In your own quiet devotional time, you select a passage and you just read it. And you read it slowly and you deliberately don't want to have too much text. That's Lectio. What is the Meditatio? It is engaging the scripture with your mind. And of course, you can find so many passages about Christian meditation, which is really, you know, thinking, thinking spiritually about God's word. And with the meditation side of things, you can, you can draw out maybe a couple of words that really stand out to you and really think about it. So maybe here, according to the ESV, we have this word beloved. You know, you're, you're, you're loved by God as a son or daughter of God. And, and you're just stopping and thinking about, I'm, I'm loved by God. <laughs> I'm not even worthy. I'm not even deserving. And you're just thinking about that. You're just thinking about that word, beloved. Or maybe the word that jumped out for you was promise. Maybe the word for you was fulfill. Maybe the word for you was patient. Maybe the word for you was repentance. Whatever it is, what you're doing is you're stopping and you're thinking. You're thinking spiritually about the word. You're letting it sink in first to your, to your mind so that it can go deep within. So you, you notice with Lecture Divina, you're not rushing. This, you're, this is not a race. This is a slowing down for the purposes of depth. And then there's the Oratio, which is prayer. And, and maybe what you, you do, you just simply pray through this verse or you pray through the words that you meditated on. It's like, God, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you love me. 
I'm so grateful for your promises and that I could look forward to the fulfillment of your promises, even though sometimes I think you're being slow. <laughs> sometimes, God, it seems like it takes so long and the things that I want to see happen, I don't see happening. So maybe you're praying through that and you're being honest, you're being authentic about the fact that you want to see things happen at a, at a quicker timeline. But then you stop and you remember, you know what? With God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day is like, you know what? God's timeline and our timeline is completely different. And you're just praying that through. Or maybe you're praying through God's patience and you're saying, God, thank you for your patience. Thank you that you haven't given up on me. Maybe you're, you're a seeker. Maybe you're trying to understand the spiritual life and you know that there are changes that you need to make that you've put off and you, you can look at a passage like this and you can just pray with thanksgiving and say, God, thank you for your patience, especially when you realize that when we think God is slow to act, it's not that he's being slow to act, it's that he's giving the human race time to change, time to repent. And for us, whether we are already walking with Christ or not, we're always in need of repentance. So maybe in your oratio, you're just thanking God for his patience and looking forward to what a repentant life would be like, just growth and maturity. And then you end with contemplation. While meditation was engaging the scripture with your mind, contemplation seeks to engage the scripture with your heart. And that requires stillness. It requires silence. I've tried this contemplative type prayer and it's been difficult because to go for two minutes or three minutes with absolutely no thoughts and just trying to enjoy God's presence, that's hard. <laughs> try it. You try and have absolutely no thoughts for a minute. Where, you know, wherever you're, you're sitting or standing, you're, you're trying to enjoy being in God's presence. Maybe you're outdoors, whatever gets you connected with God. Try and do that for one minute and just try to be with God and just enjoy Him. It's hard. You start thinking about a meal. You're thinking about a day to come. You're thinking about a bill to pay. And you know what the, what the, the, the contemplatives have suggested? If your, your thoughts start to stray, just think about one of these words. Think about patience. Bring it back. Think about a love word that you have for God. Maybe God for you, you know, is your Abba. Think about that word and it helps to bring the thoughts back. But what contemplation is trying to help you do is to engage scripture with your heart and to really feel God's presence. You know, with Lectio Divina, it really is a slowing down so that we can enjoy God with greater depths. I hope that this practice, you know, um, there's so much available um, in terms of resources to understand Lecture Divina, but it's a spiritual reading of scripture. And I, I share this really to bring this three-part series to a close. Because while we've been able to study various aspects of John's gospel to understand this deeper spirituality, I think we don't want to just understand it intellectually. I think we we really all desire to experience um, God's love and God's presence. And I think Lecture Divine is just one of the ways uh, to, to get us started on that process. I encourage you to try it and, um, and really see how God will work. I thank you for your attention um, over these last three weeks. 
and as I would have mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we've spoken about spirituality over the last few weeks, and in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual formation and then spiritual disciplines. Please continue uh, to enjoy uh, these studies together. Please continue to make your hearts available to God, that through His Spirit, He can truly transform you from the inside out. God bless you all.